Why fight for it by Deacon Jan? Good afternoon, everyone. Let me just here take a second here. So nice and warm welcome to all of you for watching us online. And thank you so much again for joining us this Sabbath. And I hope that this Sabbath, as every Sabbath, will be a special one. And I hope specifically, and I pray that this message will touch your heart, and specifically, hopefully, will edify you. Freedom. Why fight for it? So we are in the month of February here. And as I always said, something as a humanity, you know, we did right. We only assigned to this month 28 days on average, right? And no wonder the winter is so, so harsh here in this part of the world that have a little shorter months, it's just kind of like, you know, speed up the process till we get to the springtime. But February is a special month for me for many different reasons. I don't know, here we probably remember in our congregations, our local family here, it's actually in this month that we started our congregation. And we did it nine years ago. On this month, month of February, we launched here our congregations in Burlington. Next week will mark another, you know, milestone for me in my life. On 25th, February 25th, I came to Canada in 1991. It's going to be almost 31 years I have lived here in this country. Actually, I live more here in this country than I used to live back in Poland, where I came from. And, you know, many questions sometimes when you get... When you specifically you talk to Canadians, they'll ask you a question, why did you leave? So let me tell you that my family suffer a lot from a totalitarian regimes. And I say regimes because I meant two of them. Fascism and communism. Both of them. Fascism and communism. Hitlerism and Stalinism. And I affect my father a lot, my grandfather. As I said, my family suffered a lot. So my father, as a 16-year-old, was kidnapped by the German Gestapo, was sent on the color train, and moved to Germany as a slave worker when he spent almost over four years working for German farmers, producing food, for Wehrmacht, for German army, as they were on the quest to conquer the world. Four years. During this time, he almost died. SS officer was about to kill him, execute him because he was sick. Thanks to the farmer that actually saved his life. He convinced the SS officer that he's a crucial, crucial providing food for the German army. At the end of the war, when the war was proclaimed over in 1945, he decided to go back to his family. It took months. It took months for his family to find out that he actually is alive. 
because otherwise thought that he somewhere perished somewhere and he's dead. When he came back to his own family, to his own town, we had another liberator. Democracy that was brought by the Soviet tanks to our part of the country. We call it a communism. So he was stripped of all the goods, his good clothes, right on the border. And then when he came back home, not soon after, he was put in a concentration camp. That would be 1946, where most countries were celebrating that the war was over. Not for my dad. My grandfather spent a fortune to bribe the officials to get him out of the concentration camps. He was successful in 1947. As soon as he came from a concentration camps, almost starved to death and sick, didn't have much time to rejoice, spending time with his family at home. The communists came over and said, you have 24 hours to pack your stuff and we're going to relocate you. You're going to come and left into the other part of the country. 24 hours. And you have limit what you take with you. So that's my family experience when you're talking about the totalitarian systems. You know, communism, Hitlerism, socialism. Why I'm here? Because I wanted freedom. As a young boy, I could only imagine what freedom can look like. What do you mean that you can leave somebody in some countries where you can just decide to, you know, sell your home in one town and go to the next town and not even ask for a permission? What is that supposed to mean? How, how can people live like that? What does it mean that, you, you know, you can just, you don't need to talk to anybody, inform anybody that you just, let's say, want to cross a border. Have a passport was a privilege. Not everybody got a passport. You had to be a special person to get a passport that would allow you to cross the border. And here in Canada, 31 years, now, our federal government trying to invoke emergency power against the protesters, against the truckers in Ottawa. And I'm glad on one hand, and especially all of you who are watching us online, you know, all over the place, especially in the States, in Europe, in Africa, because most of the time, people around the globe don't know much about Canada. People even don't know much who is our prime minister. People have no idea what's the capital of Canada. Now most of you who are watching the news, you all know that Ottawa is our capital. And the, and the head of our government, Prime Minister, is Justin Trudeau. Before that, you had no clue. Now you know. I have a news for you. Our Prime Minister soon is going to change his title. He wants to become a king. And I think your people in the UK, you should be scared of that. Because he will try to destroy your queen and become a king of England too. He's hungry. He's hungry for authoritarian power. 
And what's so amazing about these things, we have two parties here. So let's call one which is called a liberal party, which I'm going to call a socialist party. And, you know, he's in a minority government. It means he doesn't have majority in his parliament. But with the cooperations of the Communist Party, which I call the NDP, they tried to force pass this act through to the Canadian Parliament. And if you are watching us online, please pray for us here. Okay? Please pray for us here in Canada, because why? Because this is so serious. If this guy having a minority government, in a split second, he can invoke to have such a power today, let's just assume that this thing is going to go away and the next week, nobody, nobody's going to remember about this thing. But let's say in the three years, four years, five years from now, another guy's going to come into a power. Let's just imagine if the majority government, who's going to stop that? Anybody will be able to invoke an emergency power and do horrific things. What do I mean horrific thing? As of right now, you live in Canada here. Let's say you donated to the protest. Doesn't matter what the amount of money. If you donate it, you can, put, you can, put, you can be put on a blacklist. Your financial institution can freeze your assets just like that without any court order. And if you think if you pass your savings or whatever you have it to someone in your family, like your children, or your mom and dad on your friends, if the government does the investigation, they can also freeze their assets too. This is how crazy it is here. And on top of that, what is the most frustrating part of me People in general just don't care about it. If you're Americans, please do care about it. Because you think it will never happen in the States? It's coming. Trust me, it's coming down there to you too. You know, I never thought that things like that will also happen in Canada. I'm actually proud to be Canadian and have a Canadian passport. Having a Canadian passport is like a ticket to the global village. You can go everywhere. Now, it starts to become a shame that my government in my country would do something like this with the protesters. Just beyond the reasons. How come that we are so comfortable that we more care about our ability to pay the mortgage that we don't care about in our, in our inability to live free. Where did we lose it? Maybe we didn't because we didn't have something like that before. So we have no idea. We can only imagine. We don't see the danger coming with this thing, with this part. Why? So my question here today, because some might say, Jenny's so political. And, you know, at church, we shouldn't be talking politics. Yeah, you're right. I'm not talking about politics. But as a Christian, as a people of faith, should Christians have personal freedom? Just think about it. Should we care as a Christian about our personal freedom? What does the Bible say about freedom in general? Does God care? Does the Bible care? Some people would say that we could just accept it, whatever it is, and just preach love. That's all it takes. That's what Christ was doing. 
preach love, and that's it. I would like to start today with Revelation chapter 13. And we spent a lot of time over there. So I'm just going to start from the back and go all my way forward, okay, to the beginning. Revelation chapter 13 here. Open your Bible here about that mark of the beast. And let's see how it's going to end. Revelation chapter 13. Just going to have a few verses here. We spend a lot of sermons here about the mark of the beast. I'm not going to go into detail here. But here, let's just see how it's going to end in the end. Revelation chapter 13, verse 13. Just breaking it at the context here. But it says, He performed great, great signs, so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceived those who dwell on the earth by those, by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell, who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. First thing here. This is what's going to happen at the end. This is the prophecy what's going to happen in the end time. What comes first? Great, great deception. Okay? Great deceptions on the entire population. Everywhere. No country is going to escape it. No culture is going to escape it. And, and here, verse 15, he says, He was granted power to give bread to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So, after great deceptions, what do we have next here? We have choice. We worship the beast, or we refused, will be terminated. Worship the beast, or be terminated. That's the choice. There's no such thing as a personal freedom when it comes to this part of the book of Revelation. And here, in verse 16. And he causes all, both small, great, rich, and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand and on their forehead. No exceptions. No exceptions. How great you are, how tall you are, how smart you are, how rich you are. Everybody will do the same thing. Or you'll be terminated. And then no one, verse 17, may buy or sell except one. Who has the mark of the name of the beast. Or the number of the name. And again brethren. People. People. Instead of worshipping God. Will worship. The beast. It's amazing. How did we. Get there. How did we get there? And again, two big words. Deception, number one. And fear, number two. First comes deception, then comes the fear, and then comes obedience. Deceptions and fear. If you go to Matthew, you'll know the verses here. Matthew chapter 24. Towards the end of Christ's ministry. 
at the end of Christ's ministry, Matthew chapter 24. Look what he says here in verse 4. What Christ warned us for, okay, when he was about to depart, when he was about to die. What was the warning that he gave to his people? Verse 4, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that what? That no one deceives you. That's the one part. For many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and will, and will deceive many. And you will hear of the wars and rumors of wars. But, Christ says here, see that you are not troubled. Do not fear. Don't be, de- don't be deceived and do not fear. For all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. And, yes, brethren, it is difficult. Okay? We experience during this pandemic, it is very difficult when you are kicked out of the society. Especially if you're not, especially if you're not vaccinated. You basically are kicked out of the society here in Canada. It came to the point that even if you can't work, you can't provide for yourself. This is Canada, okay? If you're watching an online from anywhere else. You can't even apply for government unemployment insurance. If you're not vaccinated, you can get any of this thing. The basic right to left is taken away from you. This is just a pandemic. This is just a pandemic. But it's not easy when you are kicked out of society. It's not easy. It's easy to give up. Losing your job. Losing your home. Your family. Your ability to live free is not easy. That's why it scares so many of us. Fear. We are very fearful because no one wants to go through something like that. And as I said, we all expected, we all experienced this thing during this pandemic to some degree. So many of us. But here, when you read in the Revelations, in that particular chapter, personal freedom will eventually cease to exist. It will cease to exist. So whatever we have it right now, enjoy it. Please enjoy it. And do most of it, whatever you can. Now, the concept of individual freedom, where does it come from? Where does it come from? Freedom, individual freedom. Does it come from Egypt? Does it come from Rome? Does it come from a Canaanite culture? Where does it come from? It's biblical. The concept of individual freedom is very biblical. See, through this pandemic, we had a lot of arguments here. Some people would say that our individual freedom and that we have to protect this individual freedom no matter what. Nothing can trample our individual freedom. That's a very small group of people right now in Canada. A minority group. Majority of people here in Canada would say 
that you know if you, if you hold to view like that that you are very selfish you are very selfish because we should be prioritizing the greater good of our society at all costs including trumping your individual freedom as long as the society is safe that's the argument and that's perfect argument when you had with our vaccination here in Canada if you don't want to get vaccinated wow you're so selfish you don't want to be part of our society here you don't want to save our society and it's not easy topic brethren it's not easy topic very emotional people lost the debate people lost the emotions how to debate this topic anymore it's not even based on science anymore but here I want to show you the individual freedom and how it relates to the Bible how it relates to God and you know we shouldn't be surprised I was kind of surprised but the freedom individual freedom comes almost almost comes at the first few pages of the Bible Genesis chapter 2 I want you to go there Genesis chapter 2 Genesis chapter 2 here just two verses here Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16 here It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you must freely eat. It's all accessible. It's your choice. What you want to eat, how you want to eat, this is yours. Enjoy it. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And we know what happened. We know what happened was the end results of it, right? But just think about this thing from this point of view. God Almighty, the ruler of the universe, gave us people such a huge choice. Can you see it? One tree, and God says, I'm giving you a personal freedom to choose. Personal liberty. Whatever, you want, whatever term you want to use. Why? Why such an almighty God, almighty being, would give us such a power? Especially knowing the consequences when to come if we're going to pick and choose the wrong choice. Why? What were the consequences? We know that. We're still suffering it today. Evil is rampant all over the place. Everywhere. The choice that we made was catastrophic. Astronomical. Still, God gave us a choice. We exercise that freedom in the garden. Why? Why would God allow free access to the tree? Couldn't he put a little bit of sign over this? Okay, put a warning sign. 
Maybe put another sign. Social, social distance, please, guys, okay? Keep at least two meters, six feet apart from the tree. If you still can't control yourself, maybe you wear a mask. It's going to remind you not to access the tree, right? Maybe something else. At least maybe you should put a German shepherd on the tree so you know people will be afraid to go and touch it. God didn't do any of that. It's in your hands. No matter whatever harsh decision might be, but it's in your hands. And we know it from that day on. God put a high value, high price on our personal liberty. Don't get me wrong. Individual liberty causes a lot of harm throughout the scripture. A lot of harm throughout the entire human history. Genesis chapter 6. Let's just go there. Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, and here at verse 5, our personal freedom with our choices. Verse 5, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his, of his heart was only evil and continually. Not just at some point, at one time in our life, continually. And the Lord, verse 6, was sorry that he had made men on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. Many, many generations is our personal liberty to directly rebel against God. And that's what you're reaping right now in this day and age. But you know, at this time, Something else happened. Out of this whole catastrophe that happened. There is a beautiful news here. Verse 8. But Noah. He chose. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. What an amazing story. He exercised his will, his choice, to follow God against his entire generations over there. He decided, he picked, I am not going to go with everybody else. I am going to stick. I'm going to walk with my God. And right here after this whole incident that happened here, the flood. So go to Genesis chapter 11. Here. Another incredible story. We should be learning some lessons here, right? After such a flood and the promises that God gave us. But in, Gen- in Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. I'm going to read, you know, quickly here some verses here. Now after all this thing happened, verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed down from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they, dwe- and, they dwe- and they dwelled there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks, and break them thoroughly. 
They had bricks for stones, and they had asphalt for mortal. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heaven, heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we, we scatter it abroad over the face of the whole earth. Verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they began to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will withhold, withhold from them. Come, let us go down there. Confuse the language that they may not understand once another speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from, from there over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. Now, how creative we are, right? As a humans. God promised us that He will never ever flood us again. But here in this case, we tried to create our own salvations for ourselves. We decided to build a tower. And we're going we're gonna to build such a high tower and such a strong tower that no any other flood will take it away from us. Why? And then, a question. Why, in the garden, God did not intervene when Eve was about to pick up the fruit of the tree? And why here, in this case, as they were building the tower, it wasn't even finished. God decided to intervene right away. Have you ever thought about it? this case, God said, that's it. I have to step in. This is very dangerous. Is it dangerous for God? Is it dangerous for human beings? Once people come together with the authoritarian power like that, it creates just study our history. It creates more harm than whatever an individual freedom does. I don't know if you notice this. Just the Nazis and communism in a matter of 40, 50 years, just these two countries alone evaporated 200 million people of the face of the earth just like that. This is how dangerous it is. This is how God is stepping in. He says, I can't have this thing because people will suffer for no reason. They don't know. They have no clue how to govern themselves. And this is the story of the Bible. Not just the story of the Bible. This is the entire story of human race. If you read the Bible, you can read the Egyptians the Amorites, the Hevites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, Romans. What do they have in common? Same thing. I'm going to trample over you and you're going to do everything as I wish. That's our history. Because I'm stronger than you, I'm going to beat you up and I'm going to subjugate you to myself. And it's happening even today. What do you think the Russia is trying to do with the Ukraine? 
Everything is about control. Everything is about power. That's what it is. This is a human history. And as we study biblical history, the power of the beast there. God allowed the beast, beast to exist for one and one reasons only. To control and to punish God's people. That's it. To control and punish God's people. And through the Bible, biblical history, you can see it, how this beast power, how these nations hurt God's people over and over again because they were disobedient to the covenant. But initially, that was not the design that God was planning for. Out of this confusion, out of this crazy, totalitarian human nature, God says, I'm going to set up something different. And I would like to go with you to Genesis, to, to Deuteronomy chapter 4 here. And keep in mind, this is not a Canadian constitution. This is not a Canadian, you know, charter rights of freedoms. This is not an American constitution, an American bill of rights. This is God Almighty. This is God's constitution. And keep in mind, this constitution is not just 200, 300 years old. This constitution is thousands of thousands of years old. Deuteronomy chapter 4 here. Verse 1. This is what God was trying to design for his people. Chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 1. It says, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving. You shall not add to the word which I command you, not take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command which I command commanded you. Just think about it. God's constitution does not need any amendments. It doesn't change with the society changes. It's perfect from the beginning. Okay? We don't need a majority vote to change God's constitution. It's unchangeable. We can add, we can take. We can pick and choose what we want to obey, what we don't want to obey. It comes with the entire package. Okay? Now I want you to skip to verse 5 now. Skip down to verse 5. Look here. But surely I have taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me that you shall act according to them in the land which you go to possess. So we have commandments and statutes judgments strictly related to a piece of land. They have to exist together. They can be separated. Have to exist together. We'll come to this point a little bit later. Therefore, be careful to observe them. For this is your wisdom. Okay? This constitution, God's law, it says, this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of what? Of the people who will hear all the statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. You're going to be an example to other people, all the nations everywhere across the earth says, watch, you'll be different. You'll be different. 
For what great nation, verse 7, is there that has got so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? For whatever reason we may call upon him. For whatever reason we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that has such a statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I said before you this day? Here comes the warning. Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself lest you forget this thing that the things your eyes have seen and lest you depart from your heart all the days of your life. And here, and, and teach them. Teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. Freedom is just the one generation away. That's it. One generation. Whatever freedom you have, it can just disappear in one generation. And now we see in what's happening in our Western nations. Now we see it what's happening in our Western democracies. And it's, you know, and brethren, it's such a disappointment that among the protesters you can see so many people, immigrants who came from different countries, especially from a communist country, and they screaming. It says, this is leading to a socialism, communism. And Canadians look at these people like, you know, oh, I don't know what they're talking about. Our life is still good. I have work. I'm vaccinated. I have this special status. I can go to a restaurant. And I can still pay off my mortgage. Life is great. We just don't care. And he says, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, when the Lord said to me, gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children. The point here, remember what happened in Exodus there? God said, every single one, from a child, for a woman, to a man, gather around the mountain. I will speak to them. This is a history. This is a history. This is not a revision history. This is a true history. These people recorded something spectacular that no any other nations on this earth ever heard something like that. God spoke to these people and gave them this law. And they were hearing it. And it's codified here for us in the Bible. Okay? And it says, verse 11, Then you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire to the midst of heaven, with darkness, cloud, and thick darkness. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of fire. You hear the sound of the words, but so no form. You only hear the voice. And verse 13. So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on the two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at the time to teach you statutes and judgment that you might observe them in the land which you are crossed over to possess. Ten Commandments is one thing. Statutes and judgments explain how we keep the Ten Commandments. But here Moses is teaching the people, he says, we are going to possess something wonderful. And to keep this thing, to possess this thing, we need to abide by the rules and regulations here. Because land, land that is given to you doesn't come free, it doesn't come cheap. It's going to cost you. Now, see what have we learned from this thing. What we are supposed to learn from this thing. Simple points, brethren. You can't have freedom without governing laws. You can't have it. You can't have freedom without governing laws.
and point two, which is related to point one. You can't have freedom to fully obey the laws if you don't possess your own land. Always march together. You may have the greatest constitutions on earth, but you don't have a part of your real estate. It's useless. Point three. To fully appreciate your God and His laws, to fully appreciate, to love it and His land, you have to have a freedom of choice. You can't be forced into it. The beast power will force you to obey by their own rules. Not God's kingdom. You have to have a freedom of choice to fully appreciate what God is offering you. Go to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24 here. We're going too fast. Joshua chapter 24. And here in verse 13. Look at these important words. Written thousands of years ago. I'm breaking it to the context here, brethren. But you will see what I mean by that. I have given you a land. This is what God is saying to his to his children, I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you, which you did not build, and you dwelled in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Don't fear the beast. Fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and truth. And put away gods which your father served on the other side of the river in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And in verse 15, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, if for some reason you decide that this is not for you, it's okay. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, or gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But this is what Joshua said. But as for me and my house, I and my family, we, we will serve the Lord. I am not forcing you. I am not commanding you. This is your choice. We are about to enter this promised land. And this is your choice. You don't have to be here if you don't want to. I can't force you to worship this God. But if you do, this is how we're going to do that. And so the people, verse 16, people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Then it lasts too long, right? We all know that thing. So brethren, this nation, nation of Israel, was elected bunch of the other nations was just one this nation was elected by God 
it's a great thing to be elected, right? It feels to make you special. But brethren, with the election, like this, come responsibility. A huge responsibility. Just like the Adam and Eve, they lost Eden because of disobedience. They lost Eden because of disobedience. They didn't, just, they didn't just lose the garden. They lost eternal life. Israel lost the land because of disobedience. And as we read here in Deuteronomy chapter 4, I want you now to read a contrast to that. There was a, such a wonderful story there, in, you know, like how God wanted to have this nation in the middle among all these pagan nations. He said, I want you to set an example. I want you to be a light to the world. Didn't take long. I want, you, I want you to read a contrast now to Deuteronomy chapter 4. I want you to go to 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. First Samuel chapter 8. God's constitution offered so much freedom to its people. There was no anybody above anybody. No king. No nothing. And on top of that, you have a piece of land that was alluded to you. To your generations forever. That's a promise. As long as long as you obey God's constitution. Samuel chapter eight. First Samuel chapter eight. And now we hear now it come to pass when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judge over Israel. And the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of the second one, just keep to verse three. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king. Make us a king to judge us like all the nations. I want you to be different. No, 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 no. We don't want to be different. We want to be like all the other nations. We, we want somebody... We want somebody to tell me what to do, how to live my life, what to eat, when to get up. We like it like that. Personal freedom is too difficult for us. We have to make hard choices. I would rather have that, you know, government provide everything to me on a platter. And just keep reading here. Verse 8. But no, verse, verse, verse 6. But the things displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them, that I, God, King of the universe, I shall not reign over them. They don't want me. They don't want my presence in their life. They want a king, a carnal human king, to reign over us. God says, it's okay. You guys want to have a choice? I will honor that. I'll give you. I'll give you. I will, I, will, I will give you the choice that you want, right? And he says, according to, uh, verse eight, according to all the words which they have done, since the day that I brought them out of the Egypt, even to this day, 
with which they have forsaken me and serve other gods, so they are so they're doing to you also. Verse 9, now therefore, heed their voice. However, however, there is a warning here. You should solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. And as we're reading this, words here in First Samuel, we can try to deliver to our democracy or whatever we want to call it right now in Canada. Okay? Just translate it to our own generations right here, right now. That's the warning here. So Samuel, verse 10, told all words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. Like here in Canada, we have King Justice now, right? King Justin. This is the behavior. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen and some will run before his chariots. So some will run before his chariots. Our king is hiding. He's a coward. He's hiding in his office. But he sends your sons and your daughters to deal with the conflict that's happened now in Ottawa. A simple political, political solution is going to lead to a violence because that's how we want it. Because that's what we want. Okay? He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. will send some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for the chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and, and bakers. He will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive roofs, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your, vin- and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. A tenth. Brethren, we paid 40-50% to our King Justin. Now, he wants more. Okay? We make too much money. He wants more. And look here. In Canada, you can research, you can Google it. Just by the federal, provincial, and municipal governments, the government is the employing of thousands of thousands of people. And who paid their salaries? What a privilege. I know some city workers in Burlington haven't worked in 18 months from his office. They got a fully paid. If you're not vaccinated, you can't even claim unemployment insurance. Amazing what King Justin can do, right? Keep reading. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men, and your donkeys and put them to his work. This is exactly what's happening in Ottawa. If you have a towing company, he can force you to use your truck and you have to perform a service to the government right now. And you have no choice. You have no choice. Your assets can be freezed. Implications for you might be for the rest of your lives. Because not just your institution that we have a bank account now, but not just refuse to pay your money out of your bank account, your credit card and your debit card, it might actually affect you that your bank might cancel your account in them and you probably have a more trouble opening any other account with any other of the major institutions here in Canada for the rest of your life. That's the implication. Okay? He will take a tenth of your sheep and you will be his servants. And he says, and then you will cry, cry out in that day, because your king whom you have chosen for yourself, and the Lord will, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. The Lord will not hear you. You made your choice. You exercise your power of your freedom of choice. This is what you wanted. And that's the implications. I'll show you what I can do with you. 
I show you my constitutions. I give you a promised land. You had everything given to you. Nevertheless, verse 19, after all this warning, nevertheless, people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but we will have a king over us. Good luck. Thousands of years later, that's what's happening. Now, I want to shift a little bit. What happened when Christ came on this earth? What happened? Mark chapter 1. The expectation of the Israelites, they thought that when their Messiah is going to come, he's going to crush the beast power and liberate the Israelites. From the, all the oppressions, right? Mark chapter 1. How shocked they were. How surprised they were. Christ comes along, instead of crushing the Roman oppression, crushing the beast power, Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, doing what? Preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. The good news of the kingdom of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in the good news. It's at hand. He didn't crush the Roman Empire. Okay? See, it's easy. One nation destroyed the other nation. One nation subdued the other nations, but you know what? In a long time, you can't change people's hearts. You can't, if you do by force. You can't. Christ did not use physical power to accomplish his purpose. You know what he used? He used God's constitution. He used the Torah to taught his disciples, to teach his disciples. Who is the Torah? He used the God's, of law, God's law here to teach his disciples and to convince his disciples. That's what he did. Through teaching. The lesson that comes from us, as we try to preach the gospel, you can never ever force anybody to believe something. You can never ever. Only through God's power, God's Holy Spirit, repentance comes and faith comes. Okay? We can never ever. And... So as we can't change anybody by force, we can expect that suddenly something's going to happen. We're going to force everybody to believe in Christ. We're going to force everybody to believe in his kingdom. No. See, Christ wants to talk to you. Christ wants to argue with you. If you have righteous motive. He wants to show you from the scripture who he is. He wants to show you from the prophet what his purpose was. He came to his people for this purpose. He wants first fruits. He wants first fruits. He wants his people who will be so dedicated to the cause that they'll be willing to die for it. Look at the truckers in Ottawa here. Not just the truckers alone there. People, people who just said, who laugh at our King Justin and said, you know what? Take whatever you want from us. I don't care. I'm standing here till the cops going to come and arrest me. That's faith, right? That's faith. How many of us will be willing to do something like that? 
I'm here. I'm going to chain myself to this tree. And I'm going to preach Christ. And I'm going to stay for Christ. No matter what's going to happen. You will never ever stop me. Even if you take my home. You take my car. You take my job. You take my pension. I don't care. Do whatever you will. I'll be still preaching Christ. Are we willing for that? Are we ready for that? This little accident what's happening in Ottawa. It's just the exercise. It's going to come to us sooner or later. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Verse 31 here. Mark chapter 8. Verse 31. Christ, when he came. He began, he began to teach them, the disciples, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. That was Christ's agenda. And he spoke these words openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and look at his disciples. So Christ stood around. He looked at his disciples. He rebuked Peter in front of everybody. Saying, get behind me, Satan. So Christ probably figured it out. Whatever Peter is speaking, both probably have the same opinion. He said, get behind me, Peter. My job here is not to crush the beast power. Not yet. I came here the first time show you something, to teach you something. Not at this time. This is the work of God. Not anything else. This is the work of God. If you're not for me, then get behind me. And then he said, rebuke Peter, saying, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. You're more mindful about the carnal things that throw at you in this life that are things, that spiritual thing that God is trying to show, show at you. And then, verse 34, and he, when he had called the people to himself, so you can imagine people that were around him, with his disciples also he said to them, so this is message to everybody, okay, and he said to them, and this message about the true freedom, true freedom, this is how you can get it, a real Freedom. Not a freedom guaranteed by Charter of Rights and Freedom or the American Constitution. I'm not saying this is not important. It's very important. But here, this is a true freedom. This is saying like this. Whoever desire to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You want to have a freedom you want to have a life. This is the recipe for it. This is how you're going to do it. This is how you're going to earn it. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Fear. Fear will make people do everything just to preserve their skin. Even betraying one another. Okay? But here, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life 
And like a Mark's version here. Because he mentioned something very important here. And he says, Whoever loses his life, first for my sake, that's one, and then he says, and the Gospels, for my sake, and the Gospels, it says, will save it. When I have life, when I have eternal life, that's what you do. Your ability, your willingness to sacrifice the most precious that God ever gave it to you. It's your life. For Christ's sake and for the gospel. Even if it means execution or death. That's the message that Christ said. This is the 100% guarantee. If you're committed to this thing, you will have eternal life. Verse 36. For what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Can. Bill Gates. Can you offer, God, can you offer a $50 billion? And then I'll give you another $50 billion if you accept me into your kingdom. It's impossible. That's not the way. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angel. What a word. What a freedom, brethren, in Christ. The way to our freedom, brethren, is through sacrificial death for Christ and gospel. The way to our true freedom is to agape love. Again, sacrifice for your brethren. And I have a quote here. I wrote this quote. I have no idea who wrote it. And I have no idea where it came from. So if someone can Google it, maybe you'll find a person. I have no idea what, who, what person wrote this thing. But the quote is, just got my attention a long time ago. I still have it written it down. So I will never ever forget it. So you can find out, please, like, you know, later we have a discussion. I'll greatly appreciate who said this. You know, on Google you can probably find everything. So I'll read it very slowly. The only real prison, the only real prison is fear. The only real freedom is freedom from fear. I'll do it again, so just in case if you make notes. The only real prison, prison is fear. And the only real freedom is freedom from fear. That's what Christ is looking at his disciples. Now, why freedom? Why fight for it? What as a Christian we should fight even here in Canada, whatever is happening right now? Why should we fight for it? Because it's still worth it. There's only a few countries like that on the entire globe, on the entire globe, entire planet that have such a freedom to that degree that we have it here in a Western society. If we could just extend it for another 10, 20, 30 years, it would be beneficial to all of us. Not just physically, but also spiritually. The most impact that we have 
with preaching our gospel is to people who can exercise their free choice. What a blessing it is that we just can come together here, associate together, and no one is watching us. At least not yet. No one is spying on us. At least not yet. We still have a freedom to do that. You should still enjoy it. You should still fight for it. Why would, why would we give it up so, so easily? Many countries, many countries, I'm talking many countries all over the place. Europe, Africa, Asia, you name it. South America, Latin America. If we would just pass an advertising on a social media and just tell them a one quick message. Everybody's welcome to come to Canada. You only have a one week. Borders are open. What do you think? How many people will drop everything they have and just storm right here? Why? Because they want to have a free life. They never had it before. We do, and we take it for granted. It's only in a free society like that that, you know, God creative power is unleashed. Thinking, prosperity, creativity, not under peace power. Let me finish today here. And I know this is a huge subject. And I promise there will be no part two. Second Corinthians chapter 3. That's the last scripture. Second Corinthians chapter 3. I want to leave you with these words from Apostle Paul. Which was so mightily used by God. And this is just my speculations. You don't have to agree with what I'm saying here today. We can debate it. But there is a reason, specific reason, why God chose Paul. Of all the other disciples, God specifically pointed a finger at Paul. First thing, he was a very smart guy, very intellectual, very knowledgeable in the gospel. But there was other important factor that I think. He was a Roman citizen. He was very mobile among the Roman Empire. Very mobile. He was a he had a privileged status. Like today, vaccine certification. That was for Paul back then. With the Roman citizen he could travel all over the place. And no one was able to touch him. And that's what he did. That's what God used for for God's advantage. Second Corinthians chapter three here. Let's finish with these verses here. Verse twelve. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Don't let anybody intimidate you. What we believe, what you believe, don't anybody ever intimidate you. Boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. Can you imagine? I don't know if you remember the story. He was passing from the mountain when he spent so many days. He was coming down from the mountain when the people saw his face. It was just radiant. That's what happened when he spent so much time 
in presence of the holy God. And people just couldn't look at him. He had to put a face on his face, right? Fell over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. As beautiful as that part was, that's not the end of it, okay? It was just passing away. That was just a transition to something more spectacular. Verse 14. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, this day today, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is still taken the veil is taken away in Christ. Without Christ, we cannot understand the scripture. Christ is the key to the entire scripture here. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, verse 17, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, we unveil face, beholding, as is a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Brethren, this is for us. This is what is changing us right now. This is what is changing our character. This is what is changing our views. But that's for the future. As for right now, brethren, this freedom that we have here in Canada is very fragile. And I can be sure that it would be very, very difficult to go back to the same stage that we had with the, before the pandemic. It would be very difficult. Because once we give up something to government, it's very difficult to take it back. Very difficult to take it back. So with this message, brethren, fight. Fight for freedom. Fight as long as we can. One day is coming. Christ will come back and fight for our freedom. And may God bless you all and just want to thank you again for our all online audience. Thank you for choosing us, for sticking with us for so many, for so many actually years now, and we really appreciate appreciate you. So now, if I can ask you just to st stand up, which is also offer a quick close prayer for our audience online. Loving Father, great God, it's such a sadness to see what the ungodly people can do to our society by claiming that they are defenders of the democracy. And as our freedom is just taking away every single day, Father, we know that one day will come and the glorious kingdom will appear and freedom will spread all over over the entire universe. And Father, help us Help us to be the first fruits that you want. Help us to be the one providing the freedom to billions of people to live around. And Father, help us to teach Israel what they lost and how they can regain it. Father, at this moment, I just want to bless our audience that were listening to us, their faithfulness. 
their role, how they motivate us here in Burlington to work harder and harder and just to commit even more, Father. Thank you for the presence online. Just become like our family here, spiritual family all over the place. Father, just bless them, protect them, heal them, and give them, Father, the desire of their hearts, Father. At this moment, Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and all the sacrifice that he did so we could have a freedom, Father. So we thank you. We praise your holy name, Father. And just before we go, Father, one more time, just a quick prayer about the, all the protesters that, you know, happened in our capital here and all the police officers who just have to do their job, Father. Hopefully we'll end up in a peaceful way. So thank you so much, Father. We love you, praise you, and we ask you all this thing. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Thank you again.